Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 13. John 13. We have been in a series really since Easter, understanding biblical fellowship. And we've come to the place where we've understood that it is rooted in love. Love for God. Love for one another. And what does that mean? What does that mean? And that's that's what we're continuing to look at uh, this morning. So John 13, let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time of worship this morning. Thank you for love in this room. And Father, now as we uh, open your word once again, we acknowledge, we believe, we affirm our conviction that it is truth. And we are sanctified by truth. And not just in the hearing of it, but in the doing of it. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we would ask you to, to be the teacher, the counselor of truth, and that our hearts and minds would be open, receptive, even to uh, rebuke and correction if needed, so that ultimately uh, loving one another would be in accord with, with how you call us to do it. So, Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. John 13, key verses that we've been looking at The last several weeks, starting verse 34, Jesus has sort of transitioned into preparing his disciples for his uh, death, resurrection, his departure from earth. First part of John 13, the famous foot washing scene happens. And in verse uh, 34 and 35, Jesus gives a new command to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, right? And so last week, we saw, and, and, and the focal point of last week is, is, hey, before you jump into all the doing of loving, we've got to call time out, and we've got to understand that loving one another is relational. It's based on relationship. It flows out of relationship, right? If we're not careful... If we say, okay, I'm supposed to love you, I'm supposed to, God, Jesus commands me to love brothers and sisters in Christ, we can jump right into to-dos and checklists and, and a lot of doing and externals, which with nothing wrong with that. But as we saw, we can get into a whole lot of doing in the church and miss the heart of it. And miss the heart of it. And especially in this, in this idea of love. And so we saw this command, and then we looked two chapters to your right in John 15. We said, well, how does that... How does that play out relationally? In John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So before we jump into all the busyness of trying to love one another, Jesus says, hey, wait, time out. Let me explain something to you. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Do that. And sometimes what we need to do, and this was the focal point of last week, was do you really know Jesus' love for you? Have have you spent the time to, 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 to say, Jesus, you love me like that? You love me the same way your Father loves you? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Because so many of us in this performance oriented world, in this conditional love world, 
don't even understand, are almost even resistant, right? I mean, if I say to you, according to the scriptural truth, Tina, Jesus loves you the same way his father loves him. Right? Crazy. That's what Jesus just said, crazy. Right? Because maybe through our own experiences with love, or what you've heard from media, or, or people who said they loved you and then betrayed you or hurt you or, you know, something else, this idea of love in, from the filter of the world, boy, that's kind of tough to unwind, isn't it? And along comes Jesus and says, as my Father loves me, I love you. So we have to understand this relationship because if he says love one another that way, we kind of got to know this, right? Otherwise, we can tend to slide into, well, that means I guess got to do a lot of stuff. The relational aspect, the heart of the gospel, this new covenant relationship, honestly, if we get the new covenant relationship with God through Jesus, our lives kind of fall into place kind of fall into place, right? Jesus says, turn to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Look what Jesus says. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus, he, he, he's, he's talking relationship here. He's talking relationship. He says, hey, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear the relationship? Come to me. Come to me, and you just might find out that how you viewed Christianity has kind of been wrong. Because how many of us, if we're honest... When you, when you first viewed Christianity, or maybe it, right even where you stand today, how many of you almost said or still say, boy, it's a burden to be a Christian. It's a lot. God asks a lot of me. i got to go to church. I, now they want me to serve. Now they want me to give. Now I'm supposed to love them. Right? And, and so we get this idea that, that we've got to bear our cross. And suddenly, Christianity is seen as a burden. And we're just carrying this burden, kind of like Atlas. We get, okay, Scott, come here, Scott. Come here, Scott. Come here, Scott. You're a believer, right? Just stand right here. You're a believer. Stand right here. Face, face your brothers and sisters. Right? You're a believer, right? You want to follow Jesus, right? So some of us, put your hands like this. We're, we're like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. And we think, okay, give me the world. Kunk. Right? And until we get to heaven, Scott's like this. Till I get there, Jesus. Thank you, Scott. Right? Till I get there, it's a burden. I've got to bear my cross. And then when I get to heaven, I get to go, oh. Is that what it's about? Because look what 1128 says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you what? Hmm. Are you experiencing that rest in Christ? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What? Really? How does that happen? It happens when you come to Him. When you come to Him. And you, and you sit long enough to, to let Him love you the way His Father loves you. Complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. And you realize through faith in Christ, He's already happy with you. Anyone feeling loose? Go ahead, loosen up a little bit. Now, go ahead, Tina, loosen up a little bit. It's all right. <laughs> right? Come to me. This idea of loving one another is relational. Is relational, right? And then turn back to John 5. We saw an example where the religious leaders missed it. They were real busy. And Jesus says, hey, you missed me. You missed me, right? John 5.39 Jesus is talking to the, to the religious leaders. He says, hey, you diligently study the Scriptures. You faithfully come to OBCF on Sunday mornings. Then you go Wednesday nights. Then you go to Delta groups. Then you go to Precept. Then you go to Tony's house. Then you go to Sue's house. Right? Go to men's retreats. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about who? Me, Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. What's he saying? Hey, you're doing a lot of church stuff. You know the Bible inside and out. But you missed the whole point. Who does the Bible point to? Who does the Bible point to? <laughs> Doris, they all waiting for you to say it. Jesus. Okay, Doris said Jesus. Who does the Bible point to? <laughs> He's so funny. Five years into this, what does Doris say? I can't see. I can't read her lips. What is she saying? Jesus. The Bible is points to Jesus and he says, hey, you religious leaders, you know it inside and out. Your, your study is legendary, but it's pointing to me. It's a relationship with me. Come to me. Come to me. You're doing all this stuff. You don't even love God. You don't even love God. And I was thinking about that this morning and, 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 and praying, Lord, what's the principle for us today? That's pretty heavy. I mean, imagine how offended they were. Imagine. They dedicated their lives. These were religious leaders who were convinced they were doing the right thing and had given their lives to it. Right? And along comes Jesus and says, you missed it. You missed it. Because you missed me. And I'm thinking, Lord, is there a principle for us? He's like, yeah. Turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Now, in the context of Matthew 7, he's talking about false teachers and bearing the right kind of fruit, good fruit versus bad fruit. But look what he says in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles and bring donuts and uh, pray before service and go to men's retreat and open my house and do the worship team? Didn't we do a lot of stuff? And look what he says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Ooh, I never knew you. That word know is very important in the New Testament. There's no about, and then there's no experientially. This word know, gnosko, the word picture, you know, take it the right way, is a husband and wife knowing each other intimately. That's knowing, knowledge. So when Jesus says, I never knew you, it's like, hey man, we didn't have a relationship. I didn't know you personally. I know you served and you gave and you went to Bible studies and you got it all here. But I didn't know you here. I didn't know you here. And that, that, that's what we're focusing on is, do you know I'm here? Gnosko. Intimacy. Experientially. Right? Because we can, we can do church. We can do church. It's not that hard. We know the routine. We even know how to serve faithfully, how to be a faithful church goer. Attendance, service, giving, helping out one another when needs arise. Wonderful. But do you know Jesus? Do you know Him experientially? Right? Have you had that moment of love? You're like, oh, love you, Lord. Oh, you love me first. Oh. Oh. Right? And, and at this men's retreat, there were some profound moments with the men. <laughs> and and let's, let's look at one in the context of John 5. Let's go John 5. Look at the story here. <coughs> Excuse me. John 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was, uh, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition, for a long time he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes on ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So there's this pool surrounded by these porches. And the blind, the lame, the paralyzed are surrounding it. And there was a, a legend, there was a supernatural event that happened. When the water was stirred by an angel... It turned into a big race. And whoever touched the water first was miraculously healed. Jesus shows up, knows that a guy invalid has been there for 38 years. 38 years! He says, hey, you want to get well? What do you think should be the obvious answer? Yes! But what does he say? 
makes excuses. Hey, sir, you know, gosh, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down on ahead of me. Right? Frustration, disappointment, discouragement. I don't know how many times a day it's stirred or how often for 38 years. Go back to where I was. Just watch. Right? 38 years. And after 38 years, his focus kind of shifted to the how come it can't happen? I guess this is the way it's going to be. And along comes Jesus and says, hey, you want to get well? I think Jesus wanted to get his attention. Huh? Really? Who are you? Who are you? After 38 years, 38 years, and I love this story in light of this idea of relationship and loving one another because for some of us, we've been in the church a long time. And, and if, if we're not careful, our focus has shifted. Our focus has shifted. Not that you're not saved, but maybe your focus shifted away from Jesus. Just from Jesus. Just from Him loving you and you loving Him. And the burden got... And we're doing a lot of stuff diligently, but now, all these years later, we miss them. We miss them. And we were blessed this... uh, What? 48 hours ago. It's crazy. I want to say a week ago, but it was just yesterday, day before, Friday night. And I share this with permission. Uh, one of the guys shared his, his moment with Jesus over the last several weeks. And it came to a head Friday night. And uh, this guy's been in the church over 40 years. 40 years. Knows how to do it like you, has a bunch of these, you know, and all this kind of stuff, right? Many of you are going to feel that. Forty years of that. And over the last several weeks, Jesus has been, hey, you want to get well? You want to get well? Yeah, but, you know, I've been in church 40 plus years and, 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 and all this stuff in my life. You want to get well? And our brother shared. You know, we, we call it around here, he had a come to Jesus moment. Forty years into doing church, he has had over the last several weeks come to Jesus moments. Which was highlighted by sharing with his brothers that after 40 years, of doing church. He knows Jesus. Gnosko. Knows him. Experiences his love. Freedom. Freedom. Ah. That's the heart that we're talking about. That's our prayer for you. And, and the challenge, guys, here's one of the challenges. Here's my prayer for us as a church. Because this is a very loving church. Amen? We've been studying. We know agape love. You guys sacrifice from, for one another phenomenally. We hear stories about people taking people places and helping people out. And I'm like, what, 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 what? So I want to affirm you. 
from the bottom of my heart. You are a loving, loving, loving body. Amen? You are. So this is not a do more thing. Here's, here's my encouragement to all of us. We have to understand that loving one another is an obedience issue, right? It, it's in obedience. We do it in obedience. Why? Because we, we love each other. Jesus commands us. Jesus says, if you... If you love me, you'll obey me. You see, this is very important. And I, and I appreciate this. We, we need to have this. We love one another out of obedience. We obey Jesus because we love Him. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> we like Him. We... Uh, Let's start again. <laughs> we love one another because Jesus commands us to. We obey Jesus' command because we... We love Him! Who here loves Jesus? Alright, then just say it. I love you because I love Jesus. What, but here's the link. And this is very important. This is why I'm, I'm belaboring the point. Sometimes very loving churches who miss the link of obedience and loving Jesus become loving and turn inward. I love you because I like you. Do you, you see it? And we, and we break the link between us and Jesus and us to the Father and loving one another becomes unhealthy. We become a holy huddle. Us 50 and that's nifty. Right? Do you, do you see it? You see, what, you see my point? You love one another because Jesus commands you to because you love Him and it's part of your sanctification. Do you get it? Don't ever lose sight of that. I love Him because I love Jesus and my loving Him helps me love Him more. Do you get it? If we, if we lose sight of the link between obedience and loving Jesus, it just becomes about us. And once we go down that road, we go from loving to criticizing to self-righteous to selfish to self-centered to, I don't like them anymore. I don't even want to go there anymore. Because it's just all about them. You see? You have to be very careful when we help people uh, not just in, in this, but in their life, we say your strength, if you're not careful, can become a weakness if you don't keep it in perspective. This is a very loving, agape-filled church. No doubt. No question. But we have to guard against loving one another becoming the end. It is not the end. And if it becomes the end, you know what happened? OVCF just became your idol. Do not make this church your idol. A lot of churches, you know, they, they try to draw people based on personality or based on facility or based on programming. And so they elevate the institution of that church. You understand what I'm saying? Loving one another, the programs that we do here, how we go on retreats, all the stuff, it has, it's, a, it's a means to an end. What is the means to an end for you to be more Christ-like? 
And when we say love one another, self-sacrificially, get out of your comfort zone, go meet someone in the fellowship hall, you know what that's designed to do? Give you an opportunity to grow. Because you're like, I can't do that. Exactly. That'll take a miracle. Exactly. And as you step out and do things you can't do, you thought you could never do, but God through the Holy Spirit enables you to do, who grows? Your relationship. You grow, even here. Because loving one another was done in obedience to Jesus, who you love, first and foremost in your life. Amen? You've got to do that. You don't, don't, don't break that link. Love is relational, which goes this way and that way first. We love each other. I'm, I've known many of you 15 plus years. My kids grew up with you, grandmas, aunties, right? I love you, and we have great relationships. But if I'm really going to love you, I'm going to want you to love Jesus first. And if it comes like this, even between me and Cindy, I have to be careful that it doesn't become selfish. And all of a sudden I'm mad at Cindy because she's not loving me the way I think she should. Let's be real. Love, it's, it, it's a power-packed word, and if we don't keep it biblically right, it can turn selfish like that. And now I'm mad at you. And now you disappointed me. And now you didn't live up to my expectations. Okay? So we love one another out of obedience to Jesus because we love Jesus. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I love you because I love Jesus and He commands me to. It's not an affront. It's biblical. It's just biblical. Okay? Let's look at some, some, some verses that just will keep us as a church focused on what we need to be doing, right? Let's turn to Romans 15. We're just going to do a quick survey that will keep us as a church focused on what our true purpose is as we seek to love God and obey God, right? Romans 15. Romans 15. Verse 5. Apostle Paul writing to the church of Rome. Romans 15.5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? Hey, church at Rome, be unified. I'm praying for you, but not so that you become a holy huddle, not that you become the biggest, baddest church in town. Look what he says there. So that with one heart and mouth you may what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I would love for this community to know about this church? We are a church that loves God and is making disciples, meaning people that love Jesus. I don't want the community out there just to hear, oh, OBCF, they're loving. They're loving. Is that, is that a bad thing for them to be saying? No. But it doesn't, that's not the ultimate purpose. Our loving is designed to glorify who? God. Do you see it? You see how subtle how, if we're not careful, the focus, even in all the good stuff happening here, can become us. 
Oh, man, OVCF, they're so loving. Oh, man, they're so, oh, yeah, I like their music. Oh, man, they got great donuts. You know, I mean, all this kind of stuff about us and us and us. And all of a sudden, OVCF gets elevated. No. I want people to say, go to OVCF because they love God and they're going to want you to love God. Go to OVCF because when they worship, they're just loving God. Go to OVCF because their heart is for you to be a disciple, a follower, a lover of Jesus. Now, do we have a lot of good times here? We enjoy each other's company. Bowling, laser tag, all the stuff we do. All of that is designed to build relationships. All of that is designed for us to laugh and cry together, right? In those seasons of life. But the biggest purpose, the underlying purpose of all of it is to glorify God and to make disciples of Jesus. Amen? We have to, every once in a while, have these kind of messages. Because if we don't, we can drift. And even me, we can start to get comfortable and rest on our laurels and look for the next good thing. I told the guys, I said, hey, when you go back and people ask about the men's retreat, don't emphasize great food, although it very was, right? (laughs) Don't emphasize playing games, crazy fun stuff, and, you know, fine. I mean, all of that stuff, all the, all the fellowshipy stuff, social stuff, that was all part and parcel of it. When you go back and someone asks, asks how was the men's retreat, you say, God moved. God moved in people's lives, and they shared what God was doing. Because that's really why we did it. That's really why we did it. If I wanted just to kind of, like, hang out with you guys, That was a lot of effort just to hang out. (laughs) If the point was just to hang out. You get what I'm saying? As a church, we can never lose sight of the fact that we are called to make disciples of Christ. We are called to love God passionately. And what we do is an obedience out of love, which causes us to grow. Amen? We can't lose. We'll go with this. Turn to Ephesians 4, and we'll close with this. Ephesians 4. Actually, we're going to look at one more passage before we close. But Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. And let's look at verse 16. Ephesians 4, 16. It's talking about the giftedness that has been given to everybody in this body of Christ. Everyone here has a gift. Everyone has a role. Ephesians 4.16, it says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in what? Love, as each part does its work. Who here is part of each part? Hold them up. Now let's finish the sentence. As each part what? Does it... Does it... Does its part, does its work. All of us, in your following, in your discipleship of Jesus, in your obedience, you're put into the body of Christ and in obedience and love to Jesus, you have a part to play so that this body matures and grows for whose glory? God's. See, God wired us to be significant, to make a difference, not just to feel like we're taking up air on the planet, right? 
How many of you want to feel significant in your life? You make a difference. You're sitting around the people that God says, here, make a difference. You're in the body of Christ. You have a part to play. And as you do your part, and you part, and your part, and your part, and your part, the whole body benefits. It's a testimony that we're disciples of Jesus, and who gets the glory? God. How many of you would like to be a part of God's work? And would say, like, I'm a part of glorifying God. Isn't that awesome? You lose yourself in that. It's so awesome. There's joy and fulfillment. Yes. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. So as we love one another, it's out of love. And as we love one another, God grows us, stretches us, expands us, gets to use our gifts and talents. And who gets the glory? God. Why is this important? We're going to close with this. It's important because sometimes we come to church with misperceptions of what church is. Some people think, oh, church is just about evangelism. Important, but we're not just an evangelistic center. People think, oh, church is about missions. Missions are important, but we're not a mission center. Oh, church is about fellowship and social. Oh, we kind of do that, but that's not what we're about. Oh, you're a relief agency. You're a counseling center. You're, you're a social agency. Oh, we kind of do that as we can and the need of, but that's not what we're about. Do you see what I'm saying? What are we about? Matthew 28 says we're to be about making disciples. Amen? Now, all those parts, you know, the evangelism, missions, helping people out, that's all part of the life of a church. But when people come here, we need to be clear with each other and with them. We are here first and foremost to make disciples of Jesus. We're going to help you as best we can in different areas of your life. But here's the thing. We can't fix you. We can't fix you. We can point you to the one who's got the answers. We can point you what we believe is the truth for every issue of life. We can help you in your journey to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but we can't fix you. Do you see what I'm saying? And sometimes people get upset at me or pastors because they came to the church and we didn't help them. I've had that. I was at a church a long, long time ago trying to help this family through some issues. And, 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 and one of the spouses got mad at us because they said, why don't you guys make him? Speaking about her husband. She got mad at us because she wanted us to make him do something. And, and we had to say, we're not an enforcement agency. We can't make anyone do anything here. We share God's truth. We help them understand what God wants in their life. But we can't fix anyone and we can't force anyone around here. Amen? Yeah. But that's why we have to be clear. God really put on my heart, hey, time out. As you're teaching on love, we need to take time out and we need to say love in the context of what? Love in the context of making disciples. Is that clear? We've got to stay clear to that. Otherwise, we're going to get roped into a lot of other things, good things. But that's going to consume our time and our energy and resources and can take us away from making disciples. And sometimes, guys, here's the thing. Helping people is a long haul. It's years in the making. I've known some of you 15 years. And it's been my privilege to see God work in your lives. But it's been 15 years. <laughs> now you're slow learners. 
And you know what God has told me? The church is not an assembly line warehouse. We're like, Cindy, get on the assembly line. You know, and like, Jesus, you know what I mean? No, what happens is, Cindy, get on the assembly line. I don't want to. Okay. Can I get off now? I'm off. Get back on. I don't want to. You see what I'm saying? The church is not an assembly line where we put you through all these programs and at the very end, here's the finished product. The church is made up of people, imperfect people who love Jesus the best way they know how and are called to love one another so that we can all be more like who? And who gets the glory? God. Okay? So let's continue to love one another. But let's do it out of obedience because we love Jesus and God gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You. Over the last 48 hours, You have reminded me that You are God. You have reminded me that You are alive and well. And You are working in lives. And Father, over the last 48 hours, I was privileged to see supernatural, miraculous transformations out of brothers that I've known for years and came to place where they wanted to know You. Gnosko, experientially. Not just know about You. Not just do church. But know You. Even after 40 years, it's okay. So, Father, thank You for that reminder for me, personally, just pastorally, that You're alive and well in this place. And people love You. And people want to be Your disciples and follow You, however imperfectly that may be. And in Matthew 11, Jesus, You said, Come to Me. Hey, just come to Me. All you who weary heavy laden. Just come to me. Learn from me. Have a relationship with me. And so as we prepare for communion, Jesus, we get a tangible reminder that it's relational. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. We're in a covenant relationship where we can know you because you know us. And maybe we're here and we've been in church for a lot of years. Diligently. And maybe this morning, if we're honest, we say, Jesus, I think I moved away from You. I think my focus got shifted. I think I got caught up in the doing and I lost sight of the relationship. I think I'm carrying burdens and yokes that I put on and and I'm not sure they're from You. But this morning, Jesus, as I have time to hold these cups, I, I want to just come back to You. To You. You said You love me the way Your Father loves You. I'm not sure I get that, but I want to. I want to know You. I want You to know me. So Jesus, 
I'm coming to you this morning. Just coming to you. Because I love you. I believe I have a conviction you died for my sins. I believe you paid the price I could never pay. That's why I'm going to accept these cups. In remembrance and in affirmation of my conviction of what you did for me at Calvary. But also this morning, it's because I, I love you. And I want to come to you. And I want you to know me too. So we'll have a time of reflection as the cups are passed and, and then we'll take communion together as a family.